to another persistent and nasty podcast Elaine here all three of us managed to be together for this latest podcast we had the chance to sit down and chat to Stellar Quine's artistic director Jemima Levick Jemima is an absolute joy to spend time with and she is an inspiration and what a woman she is Stellar Quine's current production of This Girl Laughs This Girl Cries This Girl Does Nothing is touring around Scotland and can be seen this week until the 1st of June at the Brunton Theatre in Musselburgh. It may say it's a 7 to 12 year old show but believe me anybody of any age will go along to this show and be moved. It really does give you all the feels. We had a really lovely fascinating chat with Jemima. We discuss everything from being a working mum in the industry which you will all hear about in our upcoming series on periods, pregnancy, motherhood and menopause. Um, we also discuss the beginnings of Jemima's career and what she hopes for for the future. We recorded this podcast at the Catherine Wheels Theatre Company's rehearsal space while Jemima was on her lunch break so there may be a slight difference in the usual sound quality. Before we get started, a few bits of housekeeping. As Louise said to you, we are now on Patreon, so please join us for extra content. Um, you can go to the Patreon website and subscribe there. We love hearing from you, so please continue to leave us your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Also, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Persistent Nasty, on Instagram at Persistent and Nasty and on Facebook Persistent and Nasty and I think that's pretty much all for today so now I'm going to leave you in the variable, very, variable, very capable hands of the gorgeous Jemima Levick. Start from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start isn't it? Yeah. Um, like your beginning, your journey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how did you become who you are as a director? Did you go to drama school? What's the whole chat? Give us the whole chat. Yeah. Straight in. Oh, God. Right. Okay. Um, uh, So I thought I went to go to drama school um, and do acting because that's what you do when you watch people on stage, isn't it? And um, I remember really clearly going to audition for drama schools and sitting in the rooms and being like, no way. There's just no way I'm doing this. This is insanity. You came to your senses. Yeah. I I do remember just looking at everybody else in the room and they were so committed and they had like nine songs prepared and 69 pieces and just being like, I mean, I swear to God, I had two pieces and a Tracy Chapman song. I was like, <laughs> did not, I was like, just didn't, yeah. Because I, I didn't go to uh, like uh, youth theatre or anything like that. So I just, I just sort of fancied it really. Um, anyway, so I took a couple of years off and then I decided, what I had been told when I finished my A-levels was that I should try, because I lived in Bristol at that time, uh, my drama teacher said get don't go to either go to London or get out of England and go to Scotland or Wales and so I came to Scotland to look around and I really liked Scotland and I really liked Glasgow but I knew if I went to Glasgow I'd just get off my face all the time and I wouldn't get any work done (laughs) what else do you mean (laughs) I used to go I can feel this is a party city and I did not need more party like I just had two years worth of party so and then I went to Edinburgh and it felt a bit middle-aged and I was like this is probably a bit perfect really so I went to Queen Margaret and I I liked Queen Margaret because after I'd realised I didn't want to be an actor I realised I needed to look for courses that offered something else 
and literally went to the open day and they talked about like because you did two years in that course of just kind of generic drama training and then it was um two years of specialism so it was like literary management directing producing um and they talked about directing and i went oh that's what i want to do there it is <laughs> brilliant great and so I did that course at Queen Margaret, and that was back in the olden days when it was in Castorfin. And um, and it was a really good course. Like There was really good people who are still working in the industry now who were part of that group and part of that year group and the years above me. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, no, this is really good. And then in my fourth year, I did my... In my four, everything changed in our fourth year. So Maggie Kinloch became my tutor... And Ian Reekey left 784 and became a, a lecturer. And they basically became my lecturers. And they were amazing. They were like, what kind of director do you want to be? Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't know, good one. And they were like, well, <laughs> what sort of work do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't know. I really like everything at the Traverse. And they were like, right then. So they phoned up the Traverse and just went, you need to have one of our placements. And because they were both just out of the industry, they knew loads of people there. So mm. Roxana Silbert was like, oh, yes, darling she can come with me so I basically hung out with Roxana for a month um, I spent quite a lot of time in a cupboard sorting out plays oh, that's okay <laughs> read a lot of work it was very enlightening um, and uh, yeah and then when I graduated I phoned Rox and just said oh I've graduated can I come and work with you and she went yes okay darling and she was like look, and she was really honest she was like look I can't give you an assistant director's job I haven't got one and because they had an RYTDS director at that time one of the regional young director scheme ones, which and it was Lorne Campbell. So I went in as Rox's assistant and he was kind of Philip's assistant. Um, so I'm just sat next to him being a bit like, well, like I've come in under the radar and just snuck in. But Rox was amazing and she sort of taught me most things really. And I did assist her in the end. I worked in admin for ages. So I had book like Highland Tours and things like that. But she was great. She was like, look, if you want to be a director, you have to understand what the whole of a building does. Yeah. And so you understand what all of the different facets of theatre are. Um, so I spent time with um, stage management and marketing and box office, and I was rubbish at all of those things. Um, but I did sit in, in programming meetings and things like that, and then finally I assisted her on a play. But she was great, and she was like, look, you know, you're a young woman, and that means you're going to have to work harder than if you were a boy. And I was like, oh, that can't possibly be true. And she was like, no, you absolutely do. And she was like, it's, and she used to say, and she was quite good because she used to say to me, oh, you know, Lorne is really good because he says this in a meeting. You're good because you say this, but you could also say this. And I, I was like, ah. And not because they were pitching us against each other, but it was really useful to learn from another, direct, like, peer director at the time. And then I went to the Lyceum. Um, the, uh, in those days, God, I've turned into that person when I talk about things about a million years ago. In those <laughs> days, um, the Scottish Arts Council had burst, had bursaries for trainee directors. Oh. And they don't do this anymore, but they gave out two of them that year. And I got one, and Heather Fulton got one to work with Catherine Mills. And I was with the Lyceum. My time was split between Stella Quines and the Lyceum. And of course, because the Lyceum were producing all the work, I was assisting. So I assisted there for a year, basically, and did bits in the Stella Quines office in between. Yeah, it was brilliant. And at the end of that, Mark Thompson said, oh, do, like, I'm going to give you a play to direct. And I remember absolutely bricking it. Just thinking, oh my God, like somebody's done that. Because one of the things that Roxanne said to me, she's like, you won't get a proper show until you're 30. Like, it just won't happen. You know, you don't, it doesn't happen 
to young women. You just don't get a proper show until you're at least 30. And I was 27, so I was like, oh, I've made it. <laughs> yes. And I remember phoning her up and she was like, what? Oh, no, darling, you must have made a mistake. And I was like, oh, he hasn't. Um, so, yeah, so I directed Christmas Carol, which is my first big show in 2005. And then I just kind of scrabbled and worked and worked and scrabbled after that, really, and assisted a lot of people and, yeah, kind of kept doing stuff at drama schools and smaller companies. And um, I had my own little company with Lisa Sangster and Sneet Hinduja, and we just did it so we could make work of our own and used to build stuff in my kitchen and, you know. But it was great and it was really good and it just kind of kept going and then I got... Um, yeah, and I just I just kept freelancing, and I and while I was freelancing, even though I was sort of doing directing work, I was I would sort of do anything, like I was running education projects and producing things, and you know, because I'm a fairly organised human being, so that kind of came naturally. Um, so yeah, and then I just kind of kept going, and then I went to Dundee um, as associate. I went to direct a show there. Uh, I met James, and he was like, oh, do you want to come do Beauty and the Beast? I remember thinking, no, not really, but I was like, yeah, great, amazing, I'd love to. And I hadn't really worked out what the life, the ensemble was about. And I remember meeting Jerry Mulgrew, and he went, I hear you're going to the on- work with the ensemble. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. And he was like, yeah, you need to be really careful. Like, they could eat you alive. And being like... <laughs> oh my god this is horrendous and seeing Alison Peebles and she said sort of said the same thing she was like yeah you really got to put the work in and being like shit and being quite worried but I got there and they were amazing they were really wonderful like, I mean they're incredibly talented mm. and they've got years of experience you know and um, you know of course they can be a pain but they you know can't we all but um yeah and it was great and then um I applied for the associate job the year after and then kind of stayed there for Eight years. Were you there eight years? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so I was associate for two years, nearly three years, and then, um, yeah, and then I was acting as artistic director and then artistic director after that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm now I'm with Stella Clancy. And a mother. And a mother. I love you know all of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the two humans and yeah. all that. It's yeah. Super, super human. What was the first show that you directed? Was Christmas Carol? Uh, that was your first Christmas Carol was the first sort of professional show I directed, yeah. yeah. So, and it was huge. It had about three revolves and a cast of like 15 or something. It was insanely <laughs> big. Um, but I directed like little Did shows. Did Mark just do that because he couldn't be bothered? <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Mark, he totally sat by me and like yeah. supported me the whole way. He was amazing. Like, I remember he did all my auditions with me and like, and you know, he was like, I think you should work with this person. You, should, you know, he was really, he was amazingly supportive. It was really great. And it was terrifying. I remember the first day being exhausted, just beyond tired. I couldn't believe how many questions people had to ask me. Mm. I was like, why didn't people just, why didn't you just go away? <laughs> Let me eat my lunch. Think for themselves. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was like, oh, this is a whole new world. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my first big show. I mean, I'd done little shows like me and Nathan Sunita did a show called Hamble Dog and the Hopping Clogs that we did at the festival. I thought it was quite good, actually. <laughs> My memory of it was it was yeah. really good. Yeah. We worked with some brilliant people and they, they made it good. But, you know, we didn't pay anybody. And what As it is, it's a festival. What are the ways in which you feel that... Because we get the, the idea... You mentioned that you're going to have to work harder because you're mm. a young woman uh, in this realm. And you specifically, uh, you being a director. But I hear that around everything. Like, writers as well. Like, there's a dialogue around just commission... Mm. Female writers, 
take a risk? Why are we a risk? And that's, we see, mm. we talk about that a lot. So I was just wondering, from your perspective, um, not just as a director, but around the industry, what are the way, what, why is that the case and what are the ways in which we have to work harder? I don't know, really. I mean, I think there's something, I think there's, uh, from what I see now, I, I, I think I didn't feel it until Rox pointed it out to me. And I think she, I think she was right. And I think she grew up in a place, you know, in a place when Annie Castledine and um, Carol Churchill were making their name. So she was in, you know, she was in that very specific wave of feminism where people were going, right, we've really got to make change here. So I kind of was in a new wave. I think for me now, I think lots of it is about the way we talk about ourselves and the way we talk about our work and about confidence. Mm -hmm. So the, so Stella Quines is, we're in the middle at the moment of delivering this masterclasses series. So we've started out the master because that being the language of the patriarchy, <laughs> um, but we could not find a better name for it. I always feel like I have to say that. Um, I actually so, saw that. I saw that come through in an email, and I was like, "Oh, I like that." Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually, I just kind of went. Yeah, actually, it was it was Jen who started starring out, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, it is a dirty word. I like mm, it." Yeah. Yeah, but we just couldn't we couldn't describe it in any other way. Anyway, one of the things that we found we had hundreds of we were really surprised by the response like we expected to get about 10 applicants and we got 40 something and I would say the majority of those applicants who were clearly qualified enough to be a sound designer were describing a lack of confidence and just not feeling confident enough mm. to put the badge on and say I am a sound designer and just do it which yeah. is what lots of boys are doing and I think that is one of our worst traits mm -hmm. as a gender. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think that I think that's a real problem. And I think that, you know, I, I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, you know, I, we should be asking the boys who run the companies really why that's a risk. I, I think there's not enough people like I, I think that we've only just reached a point now when there's enough people doing it. Mm. For that not to feel strange um you know i think there was a moment there when there was kind of you know i'd say it was sort of half and half leadership you know with the the buildings and i think i mentioned the buildings because they're kind of making the most most work yeah um you know even having stella quines as a company in and of itself you kind of go that is a de demonstration that we are still a protected category and i think that's a you know i do think that's a problem so but I do think it's about, I think much of it is about confidence, uh, but also about the way people expect women to talk about their work. You know, so even if you do get those young women who turn around and go, well, I'm not feeling unconfident, I am perfectly ready to do this. People find that a threat and they kind of get panicky about it. Um, and I think there's a kind of a wave of, um, there's a, I, I think there's about, there's about 15 em emergent, and I say that in, there's about 15 directors at the moment who are on the verge of a revolution because they are furious, quite rightly so, that they're not getting the opportunities. And there are, and I don't know why they're not getting those opportunities. You know, Pete, you know, Mark Thompson was one of the very few people who was going, yeah, all right, do a show. You know, he did yeah. it to me and he gave me three and he was doing it to, he gave them to Amanda Gokken and he'd, she'd got through a couple of them. And, you know, and I think that, there are very few people taking those risks on emergent directors now. 
because you mentioned confidence and I think that's totally key because mm. I think the boys are never told anything other than be whatever you want to be mm. so they come in to the room straight straight away and I'm like I'm a playwright mm. what have you done I've written a play here you go yeah and there's that like whereas which girls, is amazing the women are yeah, yeah and that yeah great mm. great for them mm. yeah but women are like uh, well maybe um yeah if you have time if you could I yeah, mean it's yeah. probably shit it's yeah, <laughs> but there is there is some statistics actually about women applying for jobs, and that it, I can't remember what exactly what it is. Which is so this analogy is going really badly, but um, it is something like um, when a man applies for a job, he feels like he needs to be able to do something incredible, like fifty five percent of the job description, whereas a woman feels like she has to be able to do over eighty five percent, something like that. I mean, it is literally that far apart. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was applying for quite a big job with, and, and I had a really amazing mentor at the moment who, at that time, who was incredible. And she was literally just sitting there going, no, don't answer like that. And like, she used to like do interview technique with me. And I'd be like, oh, well, I'm interested. And she's like, no, not interested in what you're interested in. I want to know how it associates to this. And, you know, she was really brilliant. And she's like, no, sound underconfident. No, don't. And it is not like this. It is this. And I used to sit there going, oh, my God. You know, but it was absolutely brilliant. And she used to make me sort of cross-reference my skills. So I'd go, oh, you know, I totally can do that. I totally do do that. I all, you know, I'm doing it. Yeah. And it was really brilliant just having that person who's going, come on stop being silly you know yeah just you know Mm -hmm. you don't need to apologize and it is all down to confidence and And where does it start though because when we're little Mm. we don't think about it i always wonder if it's kind of round about puberty Mm. yeah yeah and the hormone and how and how everything and how society changes their view on you yeah yeah well particularly for young women because the minute you hit puberty then uh, how the world perceives you in the box that you have to sit in changes Mm. based on a lot of bullshit mm. and um yeah and that can be i think hugely influential but then i was also thinking about this like in my early 20s i was like i was super confident and i was like yeah i can write a play or yeah i'll produce this show or yeah i'll direct this yeah of course i can mm. but as i've gotten older that confidence is gone because i also feel like i'm fighting for my place a lot harder as an older woman um so i don't I don't have that same like gung ho kind of like. Of course, yeah. I can do it. That yeah. used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's something. I'm totally different. Are you totally different? Totally different. Say more. In my twenties, I was insecure, paranoid, didn't think that I was good enough, all of that. Whereas now I'm like, well, fucking Fuck take it. me or leave me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, it's interesting. Yeah. And I go between both extremes of being like, yeah, I can do it, that's okay, yeah, I've, like, I'll do that and I'll do this, and I take on everything. And then I have this massive meltdown in the middle where I'm like, I've taken this all on and I can't do any of it. And I've totally oversold myself. And, and it is that, it's the cross-referencing of when, I, when you look at the job description or you look at what's in the job, you mm. go, oh yeah, I suppose like I have done something that relates, but it's all really tentative links. Mm. So almost when I start, I'm like, yeah, great, I can do that. And then halfway through, I'm like, I can't. And it's too late. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's weird, isn't it? How we've all got the different. I think we don't. I think we're sort of in a weird place as well about how where how where our confidence lives and what is actual real confidence. You know, I think we we live in an era which is totally different to what what our parents lived mm. through and you know older generations lived through. And we live in an era where you know social media we're constantly like comparing ourselves to other people and all those sorts of things. 
and we're in a world where mental health is an entirely different conversation well, it is a conversation um i my this mentor that i worked with was amazing and she said to me um because i said similarly i was like you know what if this is all shite and i can't do it and i don't know what i'm talking about and she's just like all and i was like i don't know what leadership is i don't even know what it is i don't even know what strategy means <laughs> she was like well <laughs> you do because you've been talking about it for the last six weeks um and I was like, no, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about leadership. And she was like, all it is is a badge. It's just a badge you put on that says, I am a leader. And then you go home and you take it off. And then you have a big cry or whatever it is you do. And you have a bath or whatever it is. And the next day you get up and you put the badge on again. She was like, it's just a uniform. She was like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just the thing that you say you are in that moment. She was just like, you just have to keep telling yourself it. I found that super helpful mm. you know so when because whenever I start directing a show the night before I'm always like oh my god I've got no idea how to direct a show I've got absolutely <laughs> this is a nightmare and I am getting better the older I get because I sort of know I'll get through it and it'll be fine <laughs> nobody's gonna die probably but uh, you know I Hopefully. still do it and then I just go oh no I'm just gonna put my badge on and that's just what I need to do I love that that's a really nice way of doing it isn't it it's yeah. taking the pressure off yourself yeah and you're saying it's just a badge. Yeah. It's not me. If yeah. I fail, it's not. I'm not failing. My badge. My badge yeah. wasn't on that day. Yeah, yeah. Totally just forgot my badge that day. And it's <laughs> not about like stripping yeah. your skin off every time. So, and I think we're really cruel to ourselves because we're constantly looking what. And I think women are particularly bad at looking what other people are doing. Mm. You know, and you know, we talk about body image and expectations of what we look like and how we are and how superhuman we are. And I don't think that is just the patriarchy keeping that in place. I think other women keep it in place. Oh, absolutely. When other women are wicked, they are the worst. Agents of the patriarchy. I know. <laughs> That's really yeah. Yeah. And they yeah. are. They, you know, and I, I get ter- I, I find it interesting just when I think about myself and I, I, get more, I find myself getting more disappointed with other women when Me they're too. like that than yeah. I do with men, which mm-hmm. is not fair. Yeah. That is not equity. That's yeah. what I want. Yeah. That is not what I you know and it's like there is we have to be kind to ourselves about what we're capable of and what we're doing in that moment but we have to be kind to each other and i think when we are and you know equally just as women can be awful we're the best at going you've got this yeah on you go yeah. you know mm-hmm. and i think that you know we can be really good at that just kind of going come on up you come yeah keep going keep going keep going you know we just have to do a bit more of that really yeah there's nothing more energizing sometimes than having a good girl squad support yeah. group yeah like just geeing each other along and going mm. of course you can fucking do this don't be so stupid totally. like totally. get go go do Scales it behind the ears yeah. straight on your way <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and you gotta have those tough love friends who tell yeah. you that and i have to say one of my best tough love friends is a boy he's like oh shut up because <laughs> you can fucking do it shut up you know and i'm like Oh yeah, no, I can. It's fine. You know, yeah, those kind of girl squad meetings when you go. In fact, I, I know um, a, a man who came to um, the persistent nasty event that we did at the Fringe last year, mm. and he came out and he was like, "Yes, come on!" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, Dan, love you for that. Go on, go and smash that patriarchy Yay. up." He's like, "I'm right there at the front. Here I go." It's like, yeah, you got it. That's amazing. Say so, you know, not everybody, but some. <laughs> yeah. Um, so your last show was uh, All My Sons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a Stella Quines production. No, it no. was, yeah. Um, why did you pick All My Sons? Uh, I didn't pick it, actually. Oh, did you not? <laughs> no. Um, uh, I was asked to direct it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
so along one of the many reasons I want to work for Stella Fines is that I can freelance. So, um, uh, yeah, so it becomes quite a boring story. Uh, Andrew Panton asked me to direct it. He phoned me up and he was like, I've got a play. I think you'd do it really brilliantly. Would you like to do it? And I didn't know it at all. <laughs> I think I had read it when I was at college. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to read it. And I read For You From The Bridge and I went, yeah, this is a real hashtag Me Too story. And then I realised I was reading the wrong play. And was like, <laughs> not right. Um, so, yeah, then I reread All My Sons. And, I mean, it is... A giant, I mean, it's a giant play about many things and it's beautifully written. And I just, at that time, I really, I, I really identified with one of the stories that ran through it about Kate Keller and the loss of her son. Um, and yeah, I just kind of went, oh, I just really want to do this. And I'd never directed an Arthur Miller before and I sort of wanted to see if I could do it. And yeah, like I said, it really was not a Stella Quine's show. And I just was like, just it's a play I really want to do. And sometimes I just really want to do a play. Um, and so I did it. And and I slight, I mean, my, the Stella Quine's team, to be fair to them, were furious with me because they were like, you've got an all female design team, all male design team. And I was like, yes, I do. And I was mm. like, that is really bad. I've like <laughs> totally failed on myself. And I was disappointed. I was genuinely disappointed in myself. Did rebalance it with some other people. Um, but uh yeah, I just kind of went, I'm going back to Dundee to do a show. I want to do it with the people I've always done shows with there before. So Alex, Chris and David were kind of that team, actually. And I just went, it's a freelance show. I'm going to let myself off the hook just this once. And that's not really good enough, but I'm going to. And I did, so yeah. I think that's I okay. Think it's okay. Yeah. 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 I think it's the awareness yeah. of it. Knowing yeah. that yeah. you weren't picking them because it was easy. You had your reasons. Yeah. And... You weren't picking them because they were male. You were yeah, picking them because they're good the at their jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's I also sort of knew what I was going in to do, and I knew how I wanted to do it, and I knew they knew how to do it. And yeah. I was like, you know, and I had a, a woman who was an assistant director, and um, MC came in to do fight directing, and so everybody else who was additional to that, and we got a couple of like um, uh, mentees through the process. That was good, and they were all girls, so I kind of felt better about it. But um, yeah, it was just a great play to do, really, and it's. Yeah, I kind of, I really celebrate the new world of theatre that we live in now. But I do think we're quite bad at always trying to reinvent the wheel, which of course has its place, because we must reinvent it, otherwise it'll die. Um, but sometimes just doing a really good play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just really wonderful. Well, I saw so that's it. why I did it. And I thought your direction was brilliant. Thanks. Not just saying that because we're sitting in the room. Um, <laughs> no, but I did because I actually think that the female stories were far more to the fore. Yeah. And, I, and as an audience, I also didn't have that sense of here is a bunch of men with their testosterone showing off mm-hmm. and it's all just about that. Yeah. There were so many complexities going on within it that I really, that actually I, I think was, you gave the text something extra that I don't think a male director necessarily would have done. That's good. I'm glad you thought that. I have to say the women in the company were really amazing. Yeah. You know, so that sort of makes it easier, doesn't it? But, um, and also I think their stories are more interesting, actually. Yeah. You know, I think Kate Keller was a far more interesting character. Far more interesting. She's got so much going on. She's so complex. Um, and you know Sue Bayliss the neighbour mm-hmm. she is having a rubbish time and they are living in a very specific world that is mm-hmm. changing 
and has undergone great change. And I think the guys in that play as well are really in a terribly confused and conflicted place. You know, coming out of the Second World War, it's like, that is a fascinating period in terms of how we're emerging as... Um, it's interesting it's having a wee resurgence as well, because obviously it's one in London and yeah. it's one in New York. Yeah, mm. yeah, totally. And I have to say, I saw pictures of both of them yesterday and I went, yeah, they're all white picket fences, which is exactly <laughs> what we didn't want to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I loved doing it, I have to say. Had a really, really nice time doing it. it. Sometimes it's really lovely doing a play that you just know works. Mm. You just go, oh, I don't have to fix it. I don't <laughs> have to dramaturg it out of itself. Do you know what I mean? I don't, we don't have to just throw everything we've got at it to make it work. You know, we can just stand there and say it. And so that was kind of lots of the reasons why we sort of stripped it back and pulled it away from what it was. So... What's up next? What's up next? Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, so we're doing uh, a new play, which is a, a co-production with um, Stella Quines and uh, Imaginate, and it's their 30th anniversary year, which is oh, very is exciting. It? Yeah, mm. uh, so it's a big year for them, and uh, it's a play called This Girl Laughs, This Girl Cries, and This Girl Does Nothing. Long title by a man called Finnegan Crookemeyer who comes from Tasmania. No, I haven't made it up. It's all true. <laughs> and um, it's an amazing play about three sisters who it's like, so it starts out as a Hansel and Gretel, and Gretel story and they kind of get left, you know, uh, mum dies, stepmom moves in, she's nasty, they get left in the woods and as you do. And But then it kind of subverts itself and then they all go on a big lifelong journey and they kind of discover who they are and one of them becomes a warrior and a baker and one of them's like a builds a house and meets animals and eats animals and has babies and uh, then one of them kind of travels under the sea and becomes a celebrity it's bonkers really um and yeah they kind of discover who they are and they kind of can be anything they want to be and so they are and that's amazing and um uh, and then they kind of come back together again and it's kind of it's a story about discovering who doing anything you want to do and it's really wonderful, actually. And they're three really strong characters. And already we've found stuff in rehearsals where we go, I don't think I've seen that on stage before. You know, girls doing hand-to-hand combat. And, um, you know, I think I've done one big fight in a show between girls in 306. Um, and that was like the only time I've really done proper hardcore mm, fighting. Like yeah. we, spent, we spent ages doing this fight. We'll probably cut it all, but, you know, at the moment it's there. Um, <laughs> It's a massive battle sequence. Um, yeah, so it's really great. And then they sort of come back together again. It's all about, you know, it's about family and knowing who you are and discovering who you are and being allowed to be different. You know, you can start out the same, but you all end up different and that you go back to your family and you're there for each other no matter what. So, yeah, it's lovely. So it starts in Stirling and then tours all around Scotland and then ends up at the Imaginate Festival at the end of May, beginning of June. Sounds amazing. Yeah, get my tickets it's for lovely. that. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> sad actually. It keeps making me cry. I keep on going, oh god, because you know, in order to kind of rip each other, rip itself apart, they have to leave each other, mm. and you are just a bit like, oh no, don't leave, because they're only twelve when they head off, and they're thirty-two when they meet again. So they go through twenty years of kind of travelling across the world, but it is what is brilliantly fun as well. Okay, I'll take my tissues because that I yeah, can yeah. already. I yeah, yeah. If you've, if you've got sisters or anything oh, like yeah. that, it's really like, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, and I know I asked you earlier, but mm. just like again, um, you, for these shows because you've got Ivy. Yeah. But you kind of said it's more about Charlie that you. 
Yeah, I think I just really want to make plays that he watches and he goes, yeah, you know, there are strong women at the centre of this story and that doesn't feel weird for him. Because I think Ivy is a strong young woman and she thinks she's at the centre of everything anyway. Um, But yeah, I think there's something about just, there's something about redressing the balance and just finding those stories where you just, you know, it is taken as read that these young women are superheroes. You know, in the way that kind of Wonder Woman is starting to be reclaimed a little bit. Mm. We start going, oh yeah, okay then. You know, she's not just a 70s parody of herself anymore. She's a warrior. And like Charlie certainly talks about her in the same way he talks about Superman. Whereas I think kind of five years ago that wouldn't be quite the case. So there's something about creating those stories where you know, young women are at the centre of it and that that's okay, you know, and that young men don't have to feel threatened or weird yeah. about that or that that's unusual. Um, and that actually is just... They, they identify with what they're doing as much as any young woman would. Um, yeah. I, like, I like what you'd said earlier about you don't read the Bible and go, oh, Jesus is a man. Yeah. So I can't identify. Yeah. So. yeah, totally. And I think we need to get better at that, really. You know, I think gradually we are, and TV is starting to change in some ways. Um, you know, certainly Thomas the Tank Engine, its gender parity is much better than it was when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and like, Post and Pat's the same, and like, oh, there's quite a lot of female-led yeah. stories here. Um, but you do, yeah. I'm told think... though there's only one female dog. There is, oh, there's two now. Oh, is there two now? Yeah, there's oh, okay. a strange sort of mountaineering dog who's oh. got a terrible Scottish accent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she, um, it is a girl, at least, you know. Okay. I'm always in awe how many of my adult friends who have children know so much about Paw Patrol. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, totally. yeah. It's, it's season nephews and it's yeah, all yeah. about yeah. We live yeah. a life of four children on yeah. us. Ivy's absolutely one. obsessed. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, but yeah, I do think we you know. I think we're really bad for going. Oh, but what will the young men see in that story? And it's like, well, what have young women been seeing for years? Mm-hmm. Let Let's think about that. You know, and it doesn't always have to be role. You know, it doesn't always have to be gender reverse and everything else. It's just like we just need to think about the stories that we're telling and. Yeah. Imaginate brought this play to us and they were like, look, we've got this brilliant story we think is a brilliant story about female empowerment. You guys should do it. And we were like, oh, we haven't got time, we haven't got time. And they were like, read it. And then we went, oh, we've got time. We've got time. <laughs> <laughs> we can squeeze it in, you know. And they were right, you know, and it is a brilliant story about being, you know, discovering who you are. And I think that's one of the things that Stella Quines needs to get better at is talking to those younger audiences about, you know, how we can sort of start changing things from the beginning. Because I feel like if I had been seven and somebody had been talking to me about what it means to be a strong young woman I mean my mum was you know but it wasn't all around me yeah yeah so yeah I think we can do get a bit better at that really you know and I think you know even just like the selection of Christmas shows that were on last year I was going yeah okay this feels like there's something's beginning to move yeah yeah there's a shift yeah there's a little shift here it's you know and I think Johnny Manai has got a lot to do with that because he's writing Mm. most of them Um, (laughs) busy man he is a busy man I think he's probably done them all for this year uh but yeah there is I think you know we are we are shifting it a bit and and that's really good but we you know we've got a lot further to go and you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Well, my sons, we know when we go back to those plays, we find ourselves slipping backwards a bit, and we kind of, you know, we just need to keep finding ways of moving forward. And my dad, interestingly, said about all my sons. He said, "Oh, so who writes these kinds of plays now?" And I was like, "Well, no one, because <laughs> nobody could afford to put them on. There's yeah. nine people in yeah. the cast, you know." And 
you know, it's quite interesting when you start going, yeah, what in 20 years will be our contemporary classic? You know, and yeah. I suspect Zinni Harris and Dona Monroe will be among those, I hope. Um, but yeah, we need to kind of keep pushing that forward. Yes. Mm. What's the rest of the year like for you, Dorema? Absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're doing a co-production with the Sits later this year of a Francis poet play called Fibres, uh, which is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful and about the it's about a family and about a marriage and a daughter trying to emulate that man wanting marriage like that but it's also about the asbestos industry and the oh, shit okay. um uh, so that kind of runs through it and we're going to tour that into community centers along the Clyde which is going to be really amazing I think um and we're also producing um we're co-producing with Pearl Fisher um, a new play by Ellie Stewart called Hope and Joy that Caitlin Skinner is going to direct. Okay, great. And that is kind of the beginning of a new Stella Quines, really, because what we want to do is just start using Stella Quines as a platform for other female theatre makers. And, you know, it's brilliant for me, and I love directing work, but it's time to start opening the door and just going, actually, yeah, come yeah. on. Come on, Caitlin. Yeah. Do a show where you're fully supported and... Next year, Vicky Manderson's going to do something for us, and I think that'll be Ibu as well. And it's just about to start going, come on, yeah, on you yeah. go, girls, come on, like, you know, we can be the payroll and all the You've really dull things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, that's really exciting. But yeah, it is, I have to say, doing shows at sort of two shows at virtually the same time, even though they're both co productions, so we've got big support networks. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> we are a small company. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Poor Jen is ploughing away in the office. Oh. I think you've made a real change, though, to the company. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I do. In the last, like, I think you have. That's exciting. I mean, that was the plan, is that this three years was always, like, a big sort of... I mean, you know, Selequines is a very old, big boat. You know, it's been going since 1993. And it's like, actually, it take, took more steering than I was expecting. But by the end of this year, we'll be pointing in the right direction, you know. And there's been a lot of kind of policy stuff and really boring HR stuff that needed just sorting <laughs> out, you know. Yeah. And I kind of feel like if we're a company of that age and stature, we need to be doing things properly. Um, and yeah, so it was about co-producing with as many big companies as we could so that, you know, we started to realign what we did and now we can start pushing other people into those places. So, um and that's good. Make sure you tell Creative, Creative Scotland that next time you see them. Well, yeah, <laughs> we definitely will. That'll be that'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you're you're moving that way now because it, it reminds me of what you were saying, Louise, with Morna Young, that giving up your place at the table. Mm. And it's that way where when you're at the table, it mm. can sometimes be really hard to say, Oh, there's someone else who's not at this table. Yeah. And as a like female director already you kind of stepping back and letting more female directors in. Mm. It's like, instead of just giving up your place at the table, mm. it's almost like you're kind of like elbowing a few others along the bench yeah, yeah. and just creating a bit more, space, more space. So there's more spaces at the table for the future. I hope so. I don't really know what the future looks like, really. I mean, you know, funding's getting smaller. Opportunities are getting smaller. There are fewer risks being, risks being taken in the larger organisations, you know, um, there's less work being made, uh, you know, all of those things are really scary. And I do kind of go, I wonder how sustainable that is, you know, and I do wonder how we, you know, it's an endless conversation on our office about how we can support freelancers better. Um, and obviously more money and more time and more resource and more support, you know, whatever resource means, you know, whether that's 
comfort or security, you know, whatever that is. But um, yeah, I kind of wonder where it's going really. And I think we do need to kind of start moving along the bench faster so we move more people in. But um, I'm also really aware that that's what lots of people have done for me, you know. So I'm a bit like, well, we sort of have to do that back. And um, yeah, but I just kind of wonder what that means. And I think there has to be a new and different way of doing it. There has to be. And I, I also think theatre really thrives in a world when there's not very much, you know. Mm-hmm. That's right, Britain produced some fucking amazing work, yeah. you know, and there was nothing. So, you know, we're not at the kind of American model yet, but, you know, I do kind of wonder where it's going. And I think that we just, we've got to start thinking smarter now. Um, and somehow we have to find the time to do that. But yeah, I think there's there's a new wave and I feel like in you know five or ten years it'll work all in a completely different way apparently we're in the seventh wave of feminism oh are we in seven so Maureen told me yesterday we're in the seventh wave and Maureen says that this wave isn't ending so oh if Maureen Beatty says it then it must be true this wave's a tsunami that's what's happening with this one she says it's not changing I didn't know we were in a seventh wave but apparently these things happen in seven year cycles so we're in the seventh wave Interesting. I like it. Mm, I like Seven's the idea of that. That sounds well, good. Yeah. That? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. I feel like I've just waffled at you all, but no, it's very nice. Thank and, um, you. Thank you for everything you do and your whole team at Stellar Coins because what you've just sure. said there, it's it. You've got to make work, and you're doing that. And being a theatre company and unlimited resource, you're also thinking about all the ways in which you can improve it for everyone else. And can't tell you what that means to everybody well um, it's our pleasure you. you know and we'll do more we just got to find a new way yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've got to work together to do that i think yes. we've all got to work together and keep talking to one another yeah definitely um, and have these conversations in a vocal and public way yeah um, yeah definitely and, and ask each other questions and, and and give ourselves time to go away and think about them and mm-hmm. then yeah absolutely yeah thanks yeah. jemima thank pleasure you. thank you thank Yay. you and until next time Stay nasty!